Hello and welcome to the third instalment of The Shameless Book Club. This month we read The Yield by Tara June Winch. The novel alternates between the story of August, a woman who has returned home after the passing of her poppy, Albert Gondawindi, who felt like her life had passed her by ever since her sister, Jedda, vanished as a child. August's perspective is interspersed with that of Albert via his almost diary-like Rewadjuri dictionary entries and a letter from 1915 written by the German Reverend Ferdinand Greenleaf, who established an Aboriginal mission in Massacre Plains. The Yield is Tara June Winch's third published work and has been critically acclaimed, having won the 2020 Miles Franklin Literary Award. We were lucky enough to interview Tara about her award-winning novel, which we will play in the second half of this episode. But before we get there... Michelle Andrews and Annabelle Lee, welcome back. Hello. Here we are. Yeah, my very first remote recording. How are you feeling, Annabelle? Kind of nervous. I'm really scared that I, like, haven't recorded. (laughs) (laughs) The stress of pushing record has never been higher. Guys, I want to get your thoughts, but before we do that, I want to hear from one of our listeners, Jane, who called our hotline. Hey guys, although I haven't quite finished The Yield, I wanted to call and thank you for including it this month. I've seen a few posts on the Facebook page about the book being difficult to get into and I wanted to acknowledge how popular book culture not only privileges Western authors but also Western ways of writing and storytelling. So I really liked reading this book as it kind of goes outside of what we're used to. I also found reading the book challenging at times but I love that I'm learning more about Indigenous culture not only from the book's content but from the way it is written as well. Since I became more aware that everything I've learned about Indigenous culture to this point has been delivered in a way that privileges Western culture, I've been trying to consume more texts, both academic for uni and fiction for pleasure, that are written directly from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives in whatever form that looks like. The Yield is a great example of this and I'm really enjoying reading it so far. So thank you again for including it and for putting out a great podcast. Annabelle, I'm going to start with you. Did you share Jane's sentiment that, yes, it might have had a slower start, but that you are so glad you pushed through it? Oh, definitely. I did struggle a little bit at the beginning, but I think it's just because I'd never read anything like it before. Honestly, I felt like I was reading this intricate masterpiece and my eyeballs just weren't doing it justice, to be honest. Like I found myself (laughs) reading things again and again and again. Because it was just kind of really unfamiliar to me the way Tara wrote, but it was so beautiful. I love that line, my eyeballs weren't doing it justice. I felt exactly (laughs) the same, Mish. I felt like you said this to me as well when we started reading it at a similar time, that you found yourself going back and back and rereading passages. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? I know that listener Jane touched on this in her message, that in our Facebook group there were a bunch of people who didn't get through the first 100 pages and just thought this isn't a book for them. And I think that is such a shame. And I think anyone who's listening to this, if that happened to you, please, please go back through and try again, because I think the reward and the payoff is so great and so brilliant. I did struggle with it. But then again, I think about it. I struggled with a lot of my favorite books in the first 100 pages. I remember feeling the exact same way when I read Trent Dalton's work last year. I feel like some of the greatest books of all time are so genius and are so poetic that it requires investment and you don't get everything up front. You've got to work for it. It kind of reminds me of this idea that there are different brands or strands of books and that not all books are made equal and sometimes you want to enter a book and kind of just have like this really pacey story that takes you to another world and sometimes you are actually consuming a piece of art which is what I felt I read this line from a review I think it was the Australian book review and it said in this review of the yield it is a novel that rewards readerly patience it takes a while to realize what's at stake 
And I love that. Me and the review on the same page. (laughs) Did you write that down too? No, I'm just saying that I think that was what I was saying, (laughs) that you're going to be rewarded. You've got to invest. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's that investment. So if you didn't get through it, should we tell people to stop this episode right now and go back to the book? Just take your time. Don't expect it all to come at once and don't expect for there to be like sugar. This is going to be a difficult read, but it's such a worthwhile one. Annabelle, I want to know from you, when you think to the characters, who were some of your favourites? Like what stands out? Oh, Albert. He was definitely my favourite. I found myself looking forward to hearing his chapters because when I was struggling at the beginning, I didn't really have many chapters to look forward to. But then when I got into the rhythm of knowing what to expect, I was like, when's Albert's chapter going to come up? Because he just seems like such a trustworthy character. Like you could lean on him for anything. And clearly so many of the characters in the book did. And I've never really read a character like him before. Did you guys feel, and this is maybe something I should have said at the start, but a huge part of me with this book feels like there's so much I missed because what I felt like with Albert's Mm. chapters is he so beautifully tied a lot of stuff together that I was kind of a bit confused about and yet even still I finished the book and I thought to myself this is a book that I should probably read two or three times because the detail is something that I can't possibly consume so I have no doubt there are stuff I missed reading this book. Mish did you feel like that? Yeah for sure I think I need to read this book probably four times to be able to get enough juice out of it I feel like I I went through and I picked up lots along the way but this was such a masterpiece in my mind there is so much magic hidden within those pages as far as Albert's dictionary goes I actually had a different experience of it to you Annabelle and I wonder what your experience of those chapters were Zara I actually found myself skim reading those to be blunt in the first half of the book. I found that it was beautiful writing. It was really interesting, but I was so invested in August and I really loved August's chapters that I kind of got to the dictionary and I kind of was like, okay, yep, 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 wanting to get to the end of it. But by the end of the novel, the dictionary chapters were the standout chapters for me. I thought Albert's depiction and his storytelling, like Albert's storytelling was just so vivid and gorgeous. And that became my favorite aspect of the book. Did you feel the same way, Zara? Yeah, 100%. I think I was quite similar to you in that. I loved August at the start. You know, when you're reading a book and you've got different voices, you always have your favorite voice and the voice that you're most Mm. excited to come back to. August was that for me until about halfway through the book when Albert became that for me. And you're absolutely right. It's because of his storytelling. I cannot get over how beautiful Tara June Winch's turn of phrase was, particularly in the voice of Albert. Like it was remarkable to me how she managed to put all this together. I think the other thing that I really loved out of the kind of characters of the book, if that's where we're starting, was like the intergenerational bonds between the women. You had August and her nana. You had August and her aunties. August and Jedda was a huge, hugely beautiful storyline. Annabelle, how did you feel about that? Like the bonds between the women? I found August and Jedda's relationship perfectly depicted. I think Tara did an amazing job because I felt a sense of familiarity in their dynamic and it was just beautiful Mm. to read them as kids growing up and how they were so different but then together they were united as a pair. You could just see them, couldn't you? I loved the depiction of female friendship and female bonds in this book, particularly the aunties, to be honest. I found myself feeling a little bit envious that August had this gorgeous relationship with Missy and Mary, uh, Missy in particular, and to a certain extent Nikki, but probably less so. Missy just struck me as this powerful gorgeous 
warm woman and I wish I had a Missy in my life. hundred percent. She seems like the ultimate kind of cool auntie. I, one thing I yes. want to touch on, the only major character, the major voice we haven't touched on before we move on to our next voicemail is clearly the Reverend. I mean, we've touched on August, we've touched on Albert, but the Reverend hasn't come up yet. I was so confused at the start when he his letter started to appear. I was kind of like, okay, where mm. does this fit? And I felt that to be a huge theme of the yield for me when I was reading something and I was desperate to know where it fit right away. But you need to be patient. Stuff does eventually fall into place later. And I spent a good deal of time reading the Reverend's letters wondering like, what is this guy and what is his purpose? And is he good or is he bad? And I don't know what to think of him. And I felt quite vindicated later in the book. There was a line in August chapter that said, August thought about the Reverend for the umpteenth time, imagining him and a black and white image on their field. Was he good? She thought. And I wonder if you guys felt the same. Did you read the Reverend's letters and feel confused about his role in all of this? Yes, 100%. To be honest, I still am a little bit confused about the Reverend. I can't picture him still. I don't really know what kind of person he is. And I mean, I don't want to say that I could have read the book without his part. I think Tara's done all of this purposefully and she's included him on purpose, but I just don't really understand the purpose yet, which is why, again, I'm going to have to go back and reread it. Yeah, I... I felt the exact same way. And you know that, Zara, because I'm pretty sure I texted you when I was like halfway through the book being like, do I love this man or is he as wicked as all the other men, the white men that seem to be involved in this story? And now that I've kind of had a bit of space between finishing the book and mulling it over, and I have been mulling it over basically every hour since I finished it because it's so powerful, I feel like the reverend's role was to make white people like us think a lot and to make non-Indigenous women think a lot about exactly what role he played and who he was inside. I think he was a really complicated character and I'm really interested to hear what Tara June Winch says to you about white allyship in this novel, Zara, because I was perplexed. Every time I read his letters, I oscillated between thinking this is a man with a really good heart and thinking this is a man who thinks he is automatically above Aboriginal people he has supposedly come to help. Okay, a really sugary line of thought for me, but one thing I want to know from the both of you. Did you actually want August and Eddie to end up together? Annabelle? Uh, well, I think it's just because I'm a sucker for a love story and romance. But from the <laughs> beginning, I was like, yeah, let's get them together. But slowly as the book went on, I was like, I don't like Eddie at all. No. I don't think many people did. You know, August seemed like a great gal who deserved better. <laughs> yeah, I really liked Eddie when he was first introduced and they had that like sexual tension and they were kind of like looking at each other and then they kissed and I was like, oh my God, amazing, a romantic storyline. <laughs> give it to me, give it to me. And I wanted them together right up until the sexual encounter where Eddie just seemed to completely change and completely take on this weird, I don't know if I'd call it a savior complex or a power complex or exactly what was going on. But all of a sudden, the way that he stood over her on that bed and the way he spoke down to her in that moment made me really dislike Eddie. And then every other time he came up, like when he walked up to the group who was protesting and chaining themselves to trees and everything like that, I was like, fuck off, Eddie. I cannot deal with you. I don't want you to be part of this storyline. So I was very happy that they didn't end up together in the end. What about you, Zara? I don't think I was ever rooting for them, which is so weird because I reckon I'll root for like the most unhealthy relationship 
relationship in any book if it's a romance story <laughs> given to me. But I just didn't care that much about Eddie. And August seemed to be coming into her own so much throughout the course of this novel and connecting with the land and her culture and her aunties and her nana that I just didn't think she needed it. Like I think there was enough going mm. on that she didn't need it. So I was really glad with how that ended up. Another raunchy point before we move on. Did you guys pick up this intense sexual chemistry between Mandy and August? Yes! We never got into that any further. Like, I just want to know what, what was up with that. Yes. <laughs> I actually have It felt no- like the literal Easter egg of sexual tension where it was just kind of plopped there and then left. Like, when Mandy <laughs> reached across and put her hair behind her ear, I was like open-mouthed looking at the book being like is this gonna be like a weird subplot that they get together and nothing ever eventuated I'm not sure whether I think that's a shame or not or whether I'm happy that August is just not with anyone at the end living her best life I think if anyone is listening to this who actually feels like they have a very good grasp on the Mandy versus or versus the Mandy and August (laughs) sexual tension please come into our Facebook group shameless book club and tell us we want to know your thoughts All right, let's head to hotline message number two. This one is from Bianca. Hey, Shameless Book Club pals. Initially, I found The Yield a little difficult to read with the different character plots changing each chapter. But after some time, I kind of got the hang of it. Despite the format being a bit new, I really came to love the definition chapters the most because they were so beautiful but extremely thought-provoking. To me, the most powerful part of the book was the final interaction between August and Mandy, when Mandy explained the concept of when people travel to a new country, they tend to learn a few words of the local language. She then applied it to Australia today. And then we're all migrants here. Even those first fleet descendants, we forget we're all in someone else's country. And too often we don't have the vision, the respect, to bother learning the native language, to even learn to respect the culture where we live. Looking forward to the next book. Thanks so much. I loved this voicemail a lot. Mish, I want to start with you because I know when this hotline message hit our inbox, you said to me that this was a page and a passage that you'd actually taken a photo of. Yeah, as a white person, I felt deeply ashamed when I read this part of the book because I'd never, ever considered that. And what does that say about how swiftly white people stole this land from Aboriginal people that we don't even bother to learn the original language. Like we have so swiftly eroded away one of the most ancient and precious languages, all 150 variations of that language. And I had never, ever bothered to learn any of these words. And that's why I agree with this listener. I so loved the dictionary by the end because it really struck me that I need to kind of like grow the fuck up and realize that this has been a huge weakness of mine and a huge oversight of mine to never think of that. Annabelle, I want to ask you because I completely agree with Michelle and I think the moments that are most vivid in my mind from this book are probably the moments that made my heart hurt the most or made me feel the most shame. And I think that was the absolute beauty of Tara's writing. What scenes for you were most vivid when you're thinking about the book in its entirety? Well, I know I mentioned it before, but I think it's worth coming back to the relationship between August and Jedda. Because for me, I mean, I grew up with one sister. August and Jedda had this kind of relationship that I saw a lot of my relationship with my sister in, in that Jedda and August were really different. I was probably, as Mish said, the sibling that ate the chocolate all in one go and my sister was the one that like, nibbled at it. And that very much said a lot about our relationship. Jedda was older, my sister is older than me, and it made me so much more invested in 
the Jedda storyline and so much more heartbroken as a reader when the truth did unfold. So to your question, Zara, I feel like the scenes with Jedda and August navigating childhood together were definitely the most vivid for me. I did want to read out the Easter egg snippet because I think it's so endearing. So it goes... For Easter, Aunt Nikki had gifted the girls two large eggs wrapped in coloured foil. August ate hers immediately, easily, but Jedi didn't want to. She kept hers wrapped for the first week or so, nestled in the chest freezer. Then she took a lick, another day a little rabbit bite. The rationing went on for months. August became obsessed with her egg lying there and would lift the lid freezer and check on it almost every day. I just think it's so funny how different they are. And it's such a perfect kind of encapsulation of like a sibling relationship. Like I think so many people with a sibling can see either yourself or your sibling in those characters. I think if I'm talking about one of the most vivid scenes that stood out for me, it was August and Missy coming home from the museum on that really long train trip where they are really despondent and really flat and August got off the train and I think the lines that kind of followed her getting off the train really stuck with me and they were there was an expanse behind her their lives meant something their lives were huge thousands of years she thought to herself slipped through the fingers of careless people anyone watching tv that week must have thought that Jeddah was just a little brown girl gone missing from a messy brown family other people don't have lumps in their throat year in and year out century after century they didn't know what it was like to be torn apart that sense of like trauma being passed down from generations I think is a lesson and a message that like so many white people need to need to really consider particularly today like there's so much work to do and so much that we need to change even still and this idea of like I said trauma being passed down is one of the most important messages I think that I took from this book what about you Mish what else really stood out to you one of the most vivid scenes in my mind right now is when Albert speared his nephew Jimmy in the leg and when he kind of drove him out to the outback and punished him for what he did to Jeddah. And then when he went and visited him in the hospital and he spat on the wound and Jimmy died that night from sepsis, I just, I know that he killed a man and that's obviously not a great thing to do, but it felt like the perfect retribution or it felt like justice somehow in the book. And I just had so much respect for Albert's character. He just seemed like a beautiful, gorgeous man. And I know that that's quite a messy narrative to have that he also murdered someone or he effectively killed someone but that scene with the spear really stood out to me and let's go to our third hotline message guys this one's from Alyssa. hi girls i love the book this month i actually thought it was the best one we've had and i've been in the book club since the beginning i thought it really shined a light on indigenous culture and indigenous language and that was so important Up until a few years ago, I didn't realise that there are over 150 different Indigenous languages spoken in Australia. So that really sort of helped me understand the text a bit more since learning that. And it was really interesting to learn about the different languages. Thank you so much for choosing this book. I feel like since reading it, I'm now more a knowledgeable Australian. And I've since done some more research to learn about our history. Even though it's horrible, I feel like it's important that we all know it so we can make sure it doesn't happen again. Guys, obviously, I think one of the things that's been a thread through this conversation, but that we haven't spoken about as explicitly is how powerful language is generally and how language is kind of the thread that binds this book. 
Annabelle, I want to know from you, did you feel similarly to Alyssa in that parts of this book kind of elicited a bit of shame in you that you kind of had no sense of Wiradjuri language in the past? Oh, for sure. I actually had a conversation with my housemate right before this and we were saying how she just read Dark Emu and we were saying how it's such a shame that we're not taught these things or anything about Aboriginal history and culture at school. I read that Tara said to The Guardian in July last year, she said, Australians want to know the truth of their history. There is a renaissance of truth-telling in Australia right now. And that's what Albert's chapters and the dictionary touched on for me, in my opinion. And so reading the language and the way it was so clearly written was very much about learning and listening for me. And it was something that I was so clearly open to do. What about you guys? I, after finishing it, went back through the dictionary in the last, I think it might be like 20, 10 or 20 pages and went through to kind of try and learn some words I really want to learn some words just for myself and to give time to this culture and this history of the country that we come from like I don't think there's been a clearer depiction of how white people need to look at their own stories and their own ancestry just as much as indigenous populations do and I think If anything, I left this book thinking, okay, I need to learn about my own family's history. I need to learn about where I come from and the stories and the meaning behind that. But I also need to put in the effort and actually learn some of these words. So I wrote some of them down. And I'm sorry if some of the pronunciation is a little bit off. The other shocking thing about this is if you Google half of these words, nothing comes up on Google. Mm. Like literally Google will tell you there's nothing for this word. Did you mean this? So some of the words that I really want to learn and commit to memory are guragarang, which means frog, or it means to indicate rain, which I think is such a beautiful word. Gunaguna, which means butterfly. And julabung, which means spirit or soul. So I'm going to try and learn some of these. I think it's almost everyone's duty to do that. This is such an incredible work. And the least we can do is take some of it with us. Yeah, well, for me, I think one of the most powerful parts of this book, I mean, there were so many powerful parts, but it was actually in the author's note at the very end. I think a lot of people kind of finish the novel and close it and don't read the author's note or the acknowledgements. And if you are listening and you did do that, I would so encourage you to go back and read this author's note because she said there, Australia has suffered the largest and most rapid loss of languages known to history. Australia's languages are some of the most endangered in the world. And that is an incredible, shameful fact about our country. And I think she did such a beautiful tribute to the kind of art of language in this book. And that, for me, one of the other really powerful quotes within the book from Albert Gondawindi in Chapter 42 was that he said, almost towards the very end, I want the younger ones, the next little ones, to read this book and for them to look into the riverbed, to stare up to the tops of the gums, to look and know and name the birds, to recognise that city that no one seems to see anymore. I wouldn't be invisible anymore. None of us would be. And I think there's so much identity tied up in language and it's really shameful that Australia has suffered the largest and most rapid loss of languages known in history. All right, team. We're at that point of the episode. I want to know, how do you rate this book out of 10? Mish, I'm going to start with you. Give me your final answer. I really, truly adored it. I would give this a 9 out of 10. I thought it was fantastic. Annabelle? I knew this question was coming, yet I didn't prepare a rating. (laughs) (laughs) I usually go off whether I would want to read it again, and I would definitely want to read The Yield again. So I'm going to say (laughs) 9.5. Nope. Just pipped me at the post. Not bad. Okay. <laughs> I think that I gave I gave Girl Woman Other Nine, didn't I? So I'm trying to like rate these books also relative to each other. So mm. I think I preferred Girl Woman Other just marginally. So I'm gonna say eight point seven five. 
Is that allowed? Oh. I mean, we make the rules, baby. Go for it. (laughs) So precise. I love it. Coming up after the break, I sit down with Tara June Lynch to talk about her prize-winning novel, The Yield. First, a word from today's sponsor. Tara June Winch, welcome to Shameless Book Club. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Tara, the first place I wanted to start is the title of the book, The Yield, is touched on early on where Albert points out in English that yield is about taking and claiming and kind of reaping what's been sown, whereas in his language, and I quote, it's the things you give to, the movement and the space between things. Was the title and like noting the juxtaposition between those two definitions something that you had very early on in the process? Is that how you built it all out? Yeah, I wrote to the title for sure. Probably for the last seven years that title sat there up until publication. So I knew it was about agricultural farming and the way that that can disturb the surface of a land, of country, and how representative that is of colonization on a country with a very deep rooted history and then also that I knew what would happen at the end of this novel in terms of what happens in that final wheat yield that final disturbance of the land so even if you just um, weighed up in English the giving up and the giving into and also that reaping of country you know that disturbance of of topsoil then it it makes complete sense. Well, for me anyway, and hopefully for the reader. No, completely for the reader. I found that like very powerful. I did read in an interview that you did with the Stella Prize that one of your favourite lines from the book was in Albert's dictionary and it was his definition of shame. Talk to us about why that line had such meaning for you. Yeah, ashamed, have shame, yield, dure. Poppy says he's done with this word and I think it's, you know, it comes at the end of the novel As the author of this book, I was done with this word as well. I was done with this word for my father, for my siblings, for my niece, for my child even, for my grandparents. You know, that entry kind of solidified my dedication that it was for my family at the beginning of the book. I think there's lots of circles in this novel. That one's particularly special to me because there has been such a sense of shame and we have that word shame that expression in our vernacular as Indigenous Australians and yeah Poppy just says you know this word is unnecessary it's unnecessary to carry this word anymore to carry this sentiment we're done with it and I think for me especially looking at the next generation of politically minded activists writers artists that are coming out musicians as well like Briggs, Teela Reid, Sharina Clanton, Nessa Turnbull Roberts, Ziggy Ramo, Luke Curry Richardson, these young people that are so articulate in their anger and this they have rid themselves of shame. You know, they're so powerful. They've risen above that ploy of what colonialism has done and, and what genocide has done to to an identity. So that was sort of just a a stake in the ground to say, no, this is about empowering your people and these people are strong, they've empowered themselves, you know, they've decolonised their own tongue. Yeah, these aren't victims in this novel. Don't don't dare close this book and pity them. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I want to know as well, who was the character that was hardest to write? 
I think August, just because she was really personal. She's quite a broken character at the beginning of the novel and she's one of those characters that have sought to, you know, heal thyself in so many different sort of false roots and, yeah, she was difficult. Even to actually reflect on a character, it's still difficult because it's so complicated because it's about mm. sort of reflecting on the self. It was difficult to pry the personal from, from the characters, you know, have a little bit of distance. So I didn't give all of myself on the page, you know, so I kept something private for me as well. The other character I wanted to ask you about was Mandy, one of the white hippies protesting the mine. I wanted to ask you about what you wanted to convey about white allyship with her character. Right, yeah, that's a complicated one. I wanted her to be complicated, to be empathetic, but also to be aggressively involving herself within a community's Mm. own personal issues, to be both contrived and sincere It's important to have characters that aren't sitting in those two characters of good versus evil because we are so complex. And I wanted to show the complexity of her allyship and how wrong-footed, literally her left foot was wrong and her right foot was right, how you can sort of, because of privilege, how you can be blinded to one's privilege and to speak out of turn. At some points, and it's, you know, these only over a few marked days that she's engaging with August and her family but over that time she's both right and wrong that is also representative in you know the reverend that yeah I wanted the reader really to decide themselves having undergone the book whether the character was good or bad whether they were right-minded or 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 wrong-minded whether the action was correct on their terms. So it was was more like I didn't want to be dogmatic. I wanted to present a scenario for a a reader to sort of work out like a puzzle, I guess. (laughs) It's been one that's been in my mind for about the last week, Tara, and I wanted you to give me an answer. And I know I understand (laughs) that's exactly the point. What do you think, though, Zara? What was the puzzle that you came to that it's been in your mind? I was in a bit of a puzzle, right, and then I felt uh, a bit calmer about the puzzle, particularly with the Reverend, because there were parts where I thought, like, he does seem to have empathy, but then the other part of me was like, I don't know if he's a good player in this game. And then uh, that line of August wondering kind of a similar thing where she was like is this guy good kind of made me feel like the answer was up to me to kind of work out right and we can ask ourselves the same question especially in this era of of black lives matter and and sort of this this era of reconciliation and reparation truth telling you know is empathy good enough is that enough to be an ally and the, the answer is no you know, it really is about the intention and the action and the outcome for these people and for for anyone. For, we should have that intention, action and the actual outcome, how it will affect other people. It's a really great way to put it, actually, and I think it's probably a good thing for every ally to now have in their mind those three things. I wanted to ask you about the ending as well because there was one scene in particular that stood out for me and it was a moment at the end where August, her auntie and her grandmother picked up Jolene from jail and, like, August was reacquainted with her mother why was it important to you that August and Jolene were reunited? Because I was kind of surprised to read that. I don't know if you feel that this is sort of 
like a strong female matriarch feminist type of text in the whole and I don't think anyone would feel that in the first you know few chapters or the first half of the book because Mm -hmm. you've got the majority of of who's telling the story is two males but I really wanted to slowly reveal how matriarchal this family is and how the women have really carried this family forward and how the women will continue this story. You know, there's that promise of, of the women, I think, at the end. And it was time for Jolene to get out of jail. She, You know, her crime was really minor. Of course, the the punishment, as it does for Indigenous people in Australia, outweighed the crime, and it was just time for her to leave incarceration. And it needed to be quite a silent scene. I didn't, there didn't need to be... A lot of words, it is just about that skin-to-skin touch that's so necessary and I needed that healing to be sort of a nod to the stolen generations and mothers who had children removed Mm. and that never got to touch skin again. Maybe it's surprising, maybe it's too neat, but I can't change the book now and for me that's what I, I needed that. I don't think it's too net at all once you explain exactly the reasons for it because it, it's so much more than just about Jolene and August coming back together. Like it's it's so much more than that. Yeah, it's symbolic. It's historically symbolic in terms of, you know, the foundations of our entire nation. So in all the relationships you can see symbolism. I hope, hopefully you can see the symbolism that was very intentional that has a ripple effect, not just throughout their lives in the contemporary action, but in the other narrative threads, the layers, how they overlap on these issues. And then, yeah, through thousands and thousands of years, this deep time, this sense of deep time. Tara, the last question I wanted to ask you is in so much of the reading that I've done on you and this book, I've heard you explain a few times that it felt like this book kind of ripped your heart out. And I want to know what it's like being rewarded with something like the Miles Franklin Award for like a piece of art that does rip your heart out to create. I think there's no reward for injury. There's no balm for it there's nothing that really is a salve and that can then heal that I think that's just a part of the process and that will always be what it is you know the miles didn't affect at all all the blood sweat and tears and you know does it mean much to you winning an award like that no it's I know that sounds really unappreciative but it doesn't I think given what you're saying. On the one hand, of course, it's a great honour, those kind of things. But any of those books on the long list and quite a few books that didn't even make the long list last year, and this is true for every single year, could have easily won the same prize. I don't think it makes a distinction that this book is better than any other of the year. It does make that distinction for a select few people who agreed in a room that it did. But that was only maybe, what, five, six people? So it's good to have a little a bit of a level head with these things. Otherwise, <laughs> well, otherwise you're just talking to your ego. And in, if, you, if you want to have a conversation with your ego, then I don't think you should be a writer because you'll get caught, you know, staring into the, into the pond like Narcissus and you won't return to the page, you know, you'll gild the lily. And that's, yeah, there's n- that doesn't help a writer. A writer must feel that that was the effort to put in this book and that was the truth that had to be told and realise that there's a yearning in them that needs to tell another truth and they haven't done it yet and they must do it and must put in the work. 
Tara, thank you so much. I cannot wait to see whatever you're writing next. Are you writing something else at the moment? I am. It's. I think it's really pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love hearing that. Well, I can't wait to see what it is. Thank you so much for listening to our third instalment of Shameless Book Club, where we talked all about Tara June Winch's The Yield. If you want to have a chat about The Yield, come into our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Book Club. Our pick for next month is a super exciting Aussie book, A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing by Jesse Tu. Get your hands on it, get reading, get talking to us in our Facebook group, and we'll be back in your ears for our next book club next month. Bye, guys. Bye.